More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly and I'm excited to be kicking off a brand new episode. I'm always excited for this time of the week because I love to be able to chat. I love to be able to kind of vent some of my frustrations and just spend this time with you every single week. And if you're listening to this podcast around the time that it airs, well, last weekend was the Courage Conference. I was in Orlando Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the Courage Conference, and it was absolutely amazing. I met so many people who listen to Survivor Sanctuary and who are part of our Facebook group that it would be hard for me to name everybody. But I I met, I believe, Rachel first and had a great time hanging out with her. And thanks so much to Rachel for letting me kind of crash her weekend with uh, one of her friends. And we also met Benjamin from the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And it was funny, I, I spotted him and I'm like, I think that's him. But I had mistakenly identified people or I should say misidentified some people. So I just wanted to be sure. So I just kept getting out my phone and like looking up pictures of people and kind of holding them up to see a comparison. And I'm like, yep, pretty sure that's him. So had fun hanging out with Benjamin and then ended up having dinner with quite a few folks who listened to the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. And I was super excited to meet them as well. Sandy Beach was there and Tamara, the church lady. And if you're on Twitter, you might know who all of these people are. Very outspoken advocates and uh, awesome women all the way around. So I had such a fun weekend and learned a lot. And I'm just excited to have had the opportunity to be in the same space with so many survivors of sexual abuse and with so many advocates. It was just such a strange feeling. You kind of get used to as a survivor being around people who don't get it or arguing with people who don't get it or hearing so much pushback about how survivors just need to get over it. They just need to suck it up and move on and, and all this stuff. And it was just such a different feeling to be in a space where there were dozens and dozens of people and it was like everybody just got it. You know, we're not all from the same walks of life. We don't all believe the exact same things, but we all have abuse in common And that is just, it's an unfortunate common ground to have, but I loved that feeling of you don't have to explain yourself to anybody because people just kind of get it, you know, and that was just, it was very special for me this weekend and really had a great time. And I got to say, Ashley Easter and her husband, Will Easter did such a great job of putting the event together. I know they had a lot of help from different people and it was just a really great weekend. And I want to encourage you, if you have not bought replay tickets for the Courage Conference, you can actually do that by visiting thecourageconference.com. I believe tickets are $20 and you can watch the replays of all of the keynote speakers from the Courage Conference this past weekend. And there were some really great speakers. You know, one speaker in particular 
that I absolutely loved was Thomas Edward. He is a male survivor of sexual abuse and trauma, and he was just an awesome speaker to listen to. He talked about his own story, which is just crazy. And he now has some coaching programs for men. He does some weekend workshops and different things to help male survivors. And one thing that was brought up by quite a few people over the weekend is the fact that there's a lot of talk about female survivors in the sexual abuse community and among advocates, but studies are beginning to show that there may be a more equal number of males and females who are experiencing abuse. You'll hear the statistic, one in four girls, one in six boys, or sometimes one in three girls and one in five boys. But studies are beginning to suggest that there may be more of an even number across the board of men and women who are experiencing sexual abuse. And so it's definitely something that we need to talk about more, especially since uh, we learn so many toxic things about masculinity. Uh, Whether you're a man or a woman, uh, we just learn those things growing up. And so much of that is like a big roll of duct tape that's just been wrapped around the mouths of victims. Like, don't say anything, don't show your emotions, don't worry about healing, don't be vulnerable. And I loved that Thomas talked about that and I love the work that he's doing. So I just wanted to tell you fellas or any ladies who love a guy who has experienced abuse, you can visit mpowersurvivors.com and that is the letter M, powersurvivors.com or just look up Thomas Edward. He's an advocate, he's a coach, a survivor, he is an awesome guy, and I got to just meet him briefly this weekend, and I loved um, his keynote this weekend, and so if you buy the $20 replay tickets, then you'll be able to check him out and some other great speakers as well, and there were so many great ones. Uh, Levon Proverbs was there, Rachel Grant, Ashley Easter spoke, of course, and Mike Sloan from Grace, and it was just a really great weekend. So, all right, all right. I'm done gushing about the Courage Conference, but I want to thank everybody who let me hang out this weekend, and I had such a great time meeting people and chatting with people, and if I left your name out, it's not because uh, you didn't make an impact on me. It is because my brain is so full right now, I can hardly remember anything, like literally hardly anything at all, so you'll have to forgive me. I am positive that if I had like 45 minutes to sit down and really recap the entire weekend, I would have a massive list of names of everybody that I got to meet, and it was just a lot of fun. Enjoyed it a lot. Well, I'm going to dive in to what we are chatting about here today on the podcast. So last week, I shared with you a tale of two felonies, and it was a story of my former church and how they handled two different tragic situations that involved felonies and how they handled those two situations in extremely different ways. One, a poor lady in the church was murdered and uh, the church really reached out, helped her grandchildren down to adopting grandkids and setting up trust funds for the kids. They just really rallied around and were very outspoken in the media about um, wanting to help these kids and show them love and show them support. And then fast forward a few years and you have the church's youth leader, one of the youth leaders from the church being arrested for sexually assaulting a minor. And it's a very, very different story playing out. Everybody's tight-lipped. 
Nobody's saying anything in the media except for this tiny little canned statement that lawyers helped to prepare that really was self-serving and didn't say a whole lot. And you just have people being hush, hush, hush. And you have a lot of kids. I mean, kids that were around this youth leader every single week and who were more than likely being groomed by this youth leader. And there's nothing. There's no talk of how we're going to help any more potential victims come forward. So I kind of lamented that last week, and I promised last week that this week on the podcast, we were going to answer the question why, or I will say attempt to answer the question why. I don't, for a second, think that I have all the answers, uh, but I do wanna talk to you about one of the main reasons that I think that churches respond to sexual abuse the way that they do, and why they respond so much differently to sexual abuse than they do to other tragedies that happen within the church. And I think that where we find one of our biggest answers to that is in Matthew chapter six. And if it's okay with you, show of hands, I can't see your hands, so I'm just gonna do it anyway. I am gonna read to you from Matthew chapter six, and I'm gonna start in verse 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So taking a little break from the scripture, I want to tell you about something that happened when I first heard the news about this youth leader being arrested. I work with attorneys. I don't know if I've mentioned that here on the podcast, but one of my vocations is to work in the legal field. And so I'm surrounded by quite a few attorneys every single day, some that I really love and respect, and one in particular whose name I'm not going to mention. He happens to be a believer. He is a Christian. He's very involved in his church, and he is on the board of some Christian institutions. And so when I heard this news, like he was one of the first people that I talked to about it. And I just remember saying like, oh my goodness, you know, how would you respond if this was your church or your Christian organization that was experiencing this? And I was like holding my breath to hear something like super encouraging. And what I heard was super disappointing. I will say this though, it wasn't surprising at all. It was just disappointing. So when I asked him, you know, how, how the church should respond, his answer was, well, first thing they need to do is call the insurance company immediately. They need to ask uh, what they can say and not say and do and not do in order to make sure that they don't violate any of the terms of their policy. Because if they do, and that policy is voided because of something that they do, then they're going to have to cover cover all of the costs if there are survivors in their church. Like he just went into lawyer mode. And okay, he's an attorney, so I guess that's a given. But he went into lawyer mode. And I just remember that sinking feeling like I expected it. And I wasn't angry. I was just, I was disappointed because I was kind of hoping, even though I wasn't expecting, I was hoping that I get a different response. But instead of talking about what could potentially be happening with some of the kids in the church, um, trying to help other victims come forward or help people heal if they had been victimized, instead of any of that, it was call 
the insurance company immediately. Find out what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. And, you know, that seems to be a very typical response for churches. The second a sexual abuse allegation is made, especially if it's by a church leader or somebody who worked with kids in the church, even if they were on a volunteer basis, pretty much any time an allegation of sexual abuse arises, this is the response from churches. We call insurance companies and you know we make sure that we're towing the line as far as our policies are concerned. And second, we call attorneys and we ask attorneys, what should we say? What should we not say? Please help us to write our statement that we're going to be giving to the media. We just need to issue one statement, tell us what it needs to say, help us write it, and we'll get that out in the news to distance ourselves from this situation as much as possible. And so that's what we're seeing in churches and in the way that they respond to sexual abuse allegations over and over and over again. And I posed the question last week, like, why is it so different? Why is it so different when somebody in the church is murdered and, you know, it's a tragic situation, it's awful, and it's violent and bloody, and the church has no problem being completely embroiled in that news story. And then when it comes to their youth leader, one of their youth leaders, I will say he wasn't the youth leader, but he was definitely seriously involved in that youth group. And, uh, you know, when it comes to his story and his arrest, it is a completely different story. There's silence. There's silencing of other people. I was told multiple times when I attempted to speak to the pastor that they were not to speak about this. No one was to say anything, that those were the orders from the top of the denomination, that they got that orders handed down from the top. And they were very careful to say from the top that no one was allowed to talk about it. So it might not be any super big revelation here. I mean, I'm not expecting it to be. Um, But whether it's a big revelation to you or not, it's something that I just feel like I need to say, even if I'm just getting it off my chest. When Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And whatever I heard that scripture growing up, the picture in my mind and the association that I made every single time I heard that scripture, and it was usually when a pastor was preaching a sermon about how everybody should be tithing more to the church, Uh, but the picture in my mind was a guy in some fancy clothes in his Corvette driving down the street, the wind blowing in his hair, just carefree and not caring about God at all because he has a sparkly, shiny Corvette and he can't care about God and that Corvette at the same time. And that was always the picture in my mind. But if I'm being honest right now, I don't see a more accurate picture of Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 playing out in real life than when I look at the way churches choose to handle allegations of sexual abuse against one of their leaders. And while it may not be the only reason churches respond so poorly to allegations of sexual abuse, not saying it's the only reason, but it's the main reason. And the reason is money. When churches turn to lawyers instead of scripture, when they're deciding how they're going to handle a situation of abuse, the reason is money. When church leaders reach out to insurance companies to ensure they're not violating their policy agreements before they can decide to respond to abuse allegations, the reason is money. When church leaders focus on protecting the reputation of their religious institution instead of protecting people who have been hurt, the reason is money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is in the amount of the weekly tithes and offerings the church brings, that's the thing that you're grabbing. When the bleep hits the fan, that's what you're going for. Like the house is on fire, you can grab one thing and it's money. 
And it makes me sad that churches are consistently showing the world exactly where their treasure is and where their hearts are in their handling of sexual abuse scandals. And I don't know a lot about the Catholic Church and abuse in the Catholic Church because I did not grow up Catholic and I'm not really immersed in all of those stories. I've watched a lot of documentaries and I've read a lot and I see the frustration playing out with victims of the Catholic Church and the treatment of victims in the Catholic Church is very similar to the treatment of victims within the Protestant Church. But you have people from the Catholic Church who are lobbying against laws that would make it easier for survivors to get justice. And the reason is money. We may be able to pick this apart and find some other reasons why churches respond poorly, but if we had to boil it down to one main reason, there are dollar signs, like that's all I see, dollar signs. And I find it pretty interesting that a lot of people accuse victims of sexual abuse of being litigious. Like sexual abuse victims just want to sue everybody and they just want to make tons of money. And I always have to kind of like laugh or snort just a little bit because I think of me coming forward uh, to share my story of being abused and just thinking desperately, like maybe if I say something, he won't hurt anybody else. Maybe if I say something, someone else can find healing, someone who has been scared and confused and they don't know what to do. And I was thinking, you know, I need to come forward and I need to be brave and I need to do what needs to be done so that he doesn't hurt anybody else. And then you hear people say, yeah, victims of sexual abuse. They just want to sue. They just want money. And I'm thinking, well, I'm definitely not suing the tiny little church in the third world country where I was abused. Um, That's not going to happen. I made exactly zero dollars and zero cents by coming forward. In fact, I've probably lost some money since coming forward about the fact that I had been abused as a child. And I know that not everybody's situation is exactly the same. I'm not here to give an opinion on suing or not suing. For many people, it is their only recourse when churches will not handle allegations properly. Um, Money talks, it does, and money really talks very loudly when it comes to churches handling sexual abuse allegations. I kind of think of it this way. If a church or religious institution's standard practice is to ask an attorney for advice on how to handle an allegation of sexual abuse, victims will always be treated as potential plaintiffs. Always. And you can't minister effectively to people who you perceive as a threat. You can't be genuine. You can't genuinely care about people if you're concerned the entire time that they're going to sue you, and that is the number one issue in your mind. You'll hate the one and love the other. We're seeing that play out in churches every single day when it comes to how they respond to sexual abuse because churches are attempting to serve both God and hopefully to respond with his love and compassion to broken people and insurance policies or God and premises liability attorneys or God and their big fancy denominations or God and the tithes and offerings necessary to ensure the salaries of the church leaders. Churches and entire denominations are essentially tying up their own hands when it comes to caring for the abused. Because you can't operate the body of Christ as though it's a place of business or your church as though the members are customers and the tithes are profits. You can't treat sexual abuse victims as liabilities and also treat them as precious image bearers of God. It's just the reality. When push comes to shove, you have to pick one, God or this institution. You got to pick. Are we going to treat the abused as potential plaintiffs 
and treat them as though we're on opposite sides, or are we going to treat them with the compassion of Christ? And it is my firm belief that you cannot do both. You just can't. So what's happening instead is that victims of abuse are being silenced. They're being vilified. They're being turned against by the church. They're just being chalked up to these bitter people who just want to make money. And then scripture is used against them to justify the church's lack of care for them. And if they can vilify sexual abuse victims, then a church can look justified when it turns its back on those victims. I have a problem and it's not something that I'm going to work through on this podcast because that's not what this podcast is about, but with the business model of the church. And I've been on the staff of a church before, a church that very much operated according to a business model that had nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with Seth Godin. I'm just, I'm being real here. Uh, We're reading books about marketing. We're reading books about how to market the church effectively to people, to get them coming back and to get people in the door. But uh, there was very little prayer. There was very little uh, spiritualizing of anything. It was all business tactics. And while I find business tactics and marketing very, very interesting, that's not what I want my pastor to be an expert in. That's not what I want my church leaders to be majoring in. Like, that's not it. Because I don't believe that you can run a church like a business and effectively minister to people that could be a threat to that business, at least in your mind. And that's what I find. Like, there's literally no other reason that somebody needs to call an attorney when their youth leader is arrested for assaulting a kid who is not even part of your church. There's no other reason than money to call an attorney. There's no other reason than money to call an insurance company. There's no other reason than money to try and keep the church's name out of the news. It's just, that's what it boils down to. It's money and it's the fear of losing that money. And I know I mentioned the business model of the church. And again, I'm not here to argue whether or not churches should operate according to this model. I personally think no. I think that we're seeing the reason that churches can't when we're looking at the way that churches are treating survivors of sexual abuse. They can't care for people who are a threat to the bottom line. They can't genuinely show God's love and grace and mercy and compassion to people who they are afraid are going to sue them. And I think the way that we run the church or the business model or whatever model you think it should be, there are a lot of hard questions related to this topic. And they're not questions that I'm trying to give answers to on this podcast, but they are questions that I believe every single church leader should be grappling with regularly. For example, can I justify responding to abuse the way my church attorneys say that I should, even if what they tell me to do doesn't reflect the love of Christ? Can I do that? And how do I justify it? Can I run the church like a business and still be free to respond compassionately to people who are hurt within the walls of the church? Can I justify before God the mistreatment of the wounded for the sake of abiding by the terms of an insurance policy? And if my church or my denomination has so much money or so many assets that victims of abuse need to be feared and treated as potential plaintiffs, does your church or your denomination maybe have too much money? Like, how much money is too much? How big is big enough? And do I have to leave abuse victims bleeding in a ditch and cross over to the other side of the road in order to maintain this church lifestyle that I like or my church salary 
or that family who gives tons of money and you're just scared they're going to get mad about something and leave and you're not going to have that money to work with anymore. And I say this as a person who grew up in the church and my dad was a pastor for many of the years that I was growing up and into my adulthood. And so I, I do understand. I understand when churches don't have a lot of money to work with. I understand that, you know, some aspects of the church are a little more businessy than others. But one thing I remember a lot from growing up and being in churches is that money was never the motivator of my dad. And that's one thing about him in ministry that I respect very much and that I always will is the way that the church finances, first of all, he wanted nothing to do with them. He's like, don't, don't put me in charge of any money. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to think about it. Just do what you got to do. And if the church was ever in a situation, and this is every single church that he pastored, and he pastored quite a few as I was growing up, every time the church was even slightly in any kind of financial trouble or giving was just down, the first thing he did was cut his salary every single time. I'm not saying that I think that pastors need to be paupers. That's not my point here. I'm not saying that everybody needs to live in in abject poverty if they want to be in ministry. That's not what I mean. I'm just so tired of church leaders responding to sexual abuse and to the sexually abused as financial liabilities. And that's what the business model of the church requires. It requires that you fear anyone who's hurt within the walls of your church or by someone who goes to your church. The abused, we're the customers who slipped and fell in the grocery store. We're a potential threat to the church and to the church's bottom line. And it makes me sad that we're treated that way. And I have this like desire in my heart for the humility that is required to believe the scriptures after Matthew chapter 6, 24, when it says you can't serve both God and money. I don't think it's a mistake that the verse right after that says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And, and the scripture just goes on. Why do you worry? Why do you worry about this? Why do you worry about that? Because your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So this past weekend, one of the workshops on Sunday, it was a special leadership event, uh, was led by Jimmy Hinton. And man, he talked to us for like two hours, and it felt like it was about 20 minutes. And we probably could have listened to him for two more hours, but there was not enough time. But I appreciated his talk very much. And there's something about Jimmy's story. He discovered, uh, an abuse victim disclosed to him that his father had been sexually abusing her for years, and Jimmy reported his dad to the police. And one of the things that I admire the most about Jimmy's story is the fact that he said, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know if I'm going to lose my church. I don't know if I'm going to run out of town with nothing, but I am going to do the right thing. I mean, that was essentially what he said and what he did, not knowing what was going to happen. And hear me when I say, I don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that you feel fear when you think of what could potentially happen 
if some huge scandal broke in your church. I don't think that it was wrong that Jimmy was like, I might be losing my job. How am I going to feed my kids? I mean, those are normal things that you think about. But what makes you a person of integrity is saying, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to do the right thing. It doesn't matter if my insurance company doesn't want me to find out if anybody else wants to disclose that they're victims of sexual abuse. It doesn't matter to me if our attorneys are like, please don't ask anybody else if they were victims because that could be a liability. You know, somebody who would say, I don't care because what I care about is not making sure I don't get sued. What I care about is not whether or not we're losing tithes and offerings or whether or not this person or that person might potentially leave the church or whether or not we look like crap in the media. What I'm concerned with are souls. What I'm concerned with are human beings created in the image of God who have been broken and who need help. They need help. They need love and they need support and they need care and they need it from their church. So I think we have to pick and I don't think it has to be either or like you can't have a dollar in the offering plate and also care about the abused. That's not what I'm saying, but you have to choose which one of those things you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? And are you going to try to treat people the way that God's word tells us to treat people? Or are you going to treat people like they could be a threat to your bottom line, like they're a legal liability and like they're a threat to what you've built? I just want to see like, that's, that's what my heart wants is to see more churches who say, I don't care. I don't care what happens. I don't care how bad we look in the news. I don't care if the richest family in the church storms off because they're angry. We are going to treat people who have been victimized with dignity, with respect, with love, and with care. And that's it. And I just think that the reason that so many churches are getting this wrong is because their treasure is in something other than the gospel. Because their treasure is in something other than love and mercy and compassion and grace. And where their treasure is requires them to treat victims of sexual abuse differently than they treat everybody else. So just something that has been rolling around in my brain for a little while and that I wanted to share with you today on the podcast. I have more questions than I have answers, but I think it's important to ask these questions. I think it's important to be honest. And there are very few people, it seems to me, in church leadership whose main concern is being open and honest and transparent with anything in the church, but especially with victims of sexual abuse. So that's what I've got for you today. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And again, I want to encourage you to join the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. We have been having some good discussions in there and love adding new members. So you can search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and request to join the group and I will add you. I would love to see you there. Well, enjoy the rest of today and I'll catch you back here next time on Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. 
see you then.